Welcome to Life on Planet Earth with John Aiden Byrne. Well, hello everyone again. My guest coming up has some jaw-dropping and stomach-turning stories. I want you to stick with me here. He is Monsignor Stephen J. Rossetti, a Roman Catholic priest born and raised in the picturesque town of Marcellus in upstate New York. He is an author, educator, licensed psychologist and an expert on psychological and spiritual wellness. Today, Monsignor Rossetti is based in the Archdiocese of Washington in our nation's capital, where he is on the faculty at the Catholic University of America. Monsignor Rossetti is the president and founder of St. Michael's Center for Spiritual Renewal, a non-profit Catholic organization in D.C. And Monsignor Rossetti is also a diocesan exorcist. Yes, you heard that right. He's an exorcist. Monsignor Rossetti is out with his new book from Sophia Institute Press. It's called Diary of an American Exorcist, Demons, Possessions, and the Modern Day Battle Against Ancient Evil. Monsignor Rossetti will tell us about the many disturbing, diabolical, and evil episodes he has witnessed. Typical things. I mean, things flying off the wall. All the electronics turning off and on by themselves, windows slamming shut, doors slamming shut, hearing voices pounding, uh, hearing this whistling, uh, feel like someone's touching your, your, your leg, and the dog went berserk, and the dog went completely berserk. And then parts of the houses, the temperature, the rest of the house was 70 degrees, and this spot, spot had dropped in the 30s, this one little spot. And so all these kind of typical demonic symptoms of an infested house. Yeah, people say, oh, it's nonsense, you don't believe in it. Yeah, well, maybe you don't, but if it was your house, we were getting texts from demons and people say, oh, they don't. yeah, they do. A voyage of discovery in an uncommon age of unparalleled scientific, economic, political, and social upheaval, life on planet Earth searches for the unvarnished truth, answers, solutions, and above all, hope. For our existential crisis. Well, I hope you're all doing well out there, and that takes on a bit more meaning with my interview in this episode with Monsignor Stephen J. Rossetti, who will talk to us frankly about his work as an exorcist and his new book, Diary of an American Exorcist. Now, to give you some flavor, here's a wee bit from his diary entries. After a few minutes of praying, the demons manifested. They were wagging a finger at me and shaking the Energumen's head. Energumen's is the word for the possessed. I had been commanding the demons to leave and the response was pretty clear. No. Then came a mocking evil smile over the person's face. If there was any doubt that the woman was possessed, it was gone. The look conveyed incredible arrogance and a complete disdain. There was no kindness, no mercy, no sensitivity, just contempt. I felt ridiculed and slimed. Well, that's from Monsignor Stephen J. Rossetti's new book, Diary of an American Exorcist, and we'll catch up with him in a wee moment. I'm your host, John Aiden Byrne. When we do an exorcism, uh, Satan will, or one of his minions usually, will speak through the person's voice. And you can, that's how we know the person's possessed. 
a, a new voice comes out, a new a presence comes out. It is incredibly evil. He looks at you and and you look at the in the eyes and and you could tell if they could, they would kill you. I'm exaggerating nothing. This is basically my my personal diary of things that happen. I don't need to exaggerate because it's the truth is too bizarre. Sherlock, it's grand to have you back. Hi, I'm Danica Patrick. Watching my nieces grow, play, and learn is amazing, but not every child gets to be carefree. One in six kids in the U.S. are hungry. This breaks my heart, and it's something that Feeding America is working to change. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste and gives it to families in need. To help, visit feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. My guest is Monsignor Stephen J. Rossetti, a Roman Catholic priest and an exorcist based in Washington, D.C., and he's out with a new book, Diary of an American Exorcist, Demons, Possessions, and the Modern Day Battle Against Ancient Evil. I'm your host, John Aidan Byrne. Welcome to my show, Monsignor Rossetti. I want to start by mentioning that a lot of very sophisticated people in the world today, educated people, scientists in particular, scoff at the notion of exorcism and dismiss it as pure fantasy, the work of Hollywood. What do you say to them? It's not just people like that, but there's there are priests and bishops. As a matter of fact, the famous story of Father Gabriel Morth, who was the uh, kind of a well-known Roman exorcist, and he's gone now. He was a holy guy, and one cardinal told him, the Vatican cardinal said to him, he didn't believe in all this stuff. And Father Moore said, you know, your, your eminence, uh, you need to read this uh, book. He said, which book is that? He said, the Bible. <laughs> you, you, start with, you start with the Bible. And actually, exorcisms were in the Jewish culture, the, the Islam, I mean, they're, they're, uh, the Mormons. I mean, they're, they're, it's a uh, uh, ubiquitous uh, phenomenon. Uh, but Jesus had a special a gift and charism as a son of God to to do exorcisms, which he passed down to his church. And so I would say after doing these uh, about 14 years or so and doing a lot of them, uh, you, you, it, this is, this is real. And, and I love the, there's a line I love in the movie uh, City of Angels and the, the angel, you know, Nicholas Cage goes, uh, mm. some things are true, whether you believe them or not. Yeah. That's a great, I like that line. How did you become an exorcist? Well, it's strange. I'm a licensed psychologist. And so the, the archdiocese had a, a case where someone, it appeared, uh, might have had a, a spiritual problem. So they called me and said, would you do a psychological evaluation? So I did. And I said, you know, it doesn't look like a psychological problem. I think what you need to contact an exorcist. They said, well, we don't have one. And they asked three priests to do it. And all of them said no. So I said to the cardinal, I said, well, you know, give it to me, I'll do it. <laughs> I said, how hard could it be? You know, that was kind of a naive, but uh, so that's how it started. They, no one else would do it. Wow. So, so that suggests that priests, all priests have that ability or it's part of their vocation. They can perform exorcisms. Do I understand well, that correctly? They all can do what we call minor exorcisms. 
baptism, for example, in the beginning, do you renounce Satan and all his works, all his empty promises? I mean, there's a minor exorcism there. The sacrament of confession, I mean, there's a lot of exorcistic kind of work that's done. So in many ways, uh, what the church does is not only bring, brings on God's kingdom of light and joy, but also in the process casts out uh, demons. And Jesus said, you'll, it's a sign of the kingdom, Mark's gospel, a sign of the coming of the kingdom is the, the casting out of, of Satan. But a solemn exorcism, you know, where someone's really possessed, that is reserved for someone with appointed by the bishop who has a, a, a training and, and expertise in doing these. So those are those are reserved, a solemn exorcism of someone who's possessed. I read where you had some kind of a demonic experience mm. yourself when you're at the seminary. And that yeah. may have been sort of where what led to what you're doing today? Well, it's, it, actually, it's not that uncommon. If people don't talk about these things, but if you get a group of people together and say, how many of you have had a personal experience of, of Satan in your life? You know, more than a few people raise their hands. I've started doing that with priest gatherings. I was with a bunch of uh, group of priests uh, two weeks ago. And I said, how many of you, About there are about 90 guys there, how many of you guys have a personal encounter with Satan during your life? And I would say, I would say almost half of them raised their hands. I think Pope Francis did. Pope Francis, uncharacteristically, from my, my perspective, has talked often about not getting into a dialogue with Satan. And he uses, he actually talked about Satan probably more than any recent pope has. I think because, uh, my personal belief is I think because he's had some encounter with Satan, and so he knows better. So I would say it's much more common. And I did as a seminarian. I, I, one night I was, I was lying in bed, I was wide awake, and all of a sudden this this thing hit me, and it was this purely evil, unbelievably uh, powerful force. And by the grace of God, I knew exactly what it was. It was, it was a, a demonic attack, and it was incredibly powerful and incredibly fast. Angels move at the speed of thought. So I was just about to be overwhelmed. And then, of course, God, by God's grace, I lunged out of my bed and grabbed my rosary beads. And, and, and the minute I touched my rosary beads, uh, it stopped. And as I said in the book, at that moment, I learned about what 80% of what I need to know about doing exorcisms. One, the devil's a lot stronger and a lot faster than I am, but nothing compared to the mother of God. And, and, and Mary just, he's, he's nothing. He, she just knocks him out. So uh, I don't, uh, I, I mean, something I tell exorcists, new exorcists, don't rely on your own strength. No, no, it's not you. Uh, we rely on the, the power of Jesus and, and oftentimes through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary. I want to get a kind of an overall idea of where we're at in the world, the U.S., the West, uh, and globe more generally in terms of exorcisms and the presence of exorcists. The number of exorcists, ones who would be designated by the bishops, has grown hugely in the past decade uh, from a very low number. Why is that? We get a lot of requests every week. It's grown uh, really exponentially. And some of the people are not possessed. I mean, they just have psychological problems. Uh, but uh, there are people who do really have uh, demonic issues and problems. Uh, why has it grown? Uh, here's what we think. The recipe for having a, a demonic problem is one, stop practicing the faith. Your best defense is to practice the faith. Jesus is your helmet, your shield, and he is the one that, that protects you. Number two, uh, don't commit serious sins. Serious sins are openings to evil. Every time we sin, we, we, we become more 
uh, vulnerable to, uh, to Satan. And then third, don't do any occult stuff. Don't practice magic. I don't care what good or bad or whatever, any kind of magic, any occult practices, Ouija boards, all those things. So if it's, people are not practicing faith, so they're not protected. They are committing, sadly, serious sins, which opens themselves up to it. And then they're inviting Satan into their lives. They're practicing magic. There are, there are hundreds of thousands of people practicing magic and think this is fun or a good idea. It's, you're basically giving Satan a ticket into your life. And so now we, we have a number of people come to us who practice witchcraft for uh, several years, and they have huge problems. And we know that there are satanic cults in our society. It's surprising. It's surprising. We had this guy uh, uh, was a, was a harassing one of our holy young women, and this is a, a tattoo that was on his arm of a kamana. It's a, it's a he's a high ranking demon, mm. uh, and there's these young people. I've had more than a few people c- uh, come who have tattoos of demons on them, and I asked one guy. I said, "Why why did you tat this tattoo this demon on your on your shoulder?" He says, "Well." Here's what he said. He said, I thought it would make me a better person. I'm going, what? I mean, what will happen is the young people are not getting uh, basic instruction in the Christian faith. And so they have all these wacky ideas. Uh, and, and as I tell people, if you tattoo a demon on you, you're basically branding yourself like a cow. I've got Satan's <laughs> tattoo on my shoulder. You belong yeah. to him. And Satan says, okay, you're mine. The image of Satan and those cult images is almost an art form for for some people, and they don't realize what they're dabbling with here. Is demonic possession common in institutions and uh, societies and in the ranks of different groups? I'm just thinking maybe in the ranks of government even. Mm. I know it's a very loaded question, but you must ask it because look at all the uh, strange and legislation that's coming out that really bothers people of the judeo Christian tradition. Well, I would say that we make a distinction between Satan's ordinary activity and extraordinary activity. Satan's ordinary activity is to tempt, uh, which he does to all of us. And so government officials especially would be targets because they can influence a lot of people. So certainly Satan would be tempting uh, many of them, all of them, but uh, many of them are holy people and living good lives. And they sort of just- Oh, quite a few. Yeah, and uh, I know a bunch of them, and I'm I'm impressed by the by by their virtuous lives and their dedication. Uh, mm. Wonderful. Uh, but there is Satan's extraordinary activity, and that's when we open ourselves uh, in some way to Satan's uh, uh, direct presence. Uh, that's when these uh, possessions could take place, or what is normal, m- more common rather, is oppression. M- most people come to us are not fully possessed. But they do have some extraordinary satanic stuff going on. They see shadows. They break up with also scratches. Uh, they have are tormented. And they have all sorts of stuff going on. But they're not fully possessed. They're uh, demonically oppressed. So it's a lesser form of extraordinary activity of Satan. And they respond actually fairly good, well, to uh, prayers and typically get better a lot faster. Well, one of the reasons I asked the last question is that I heard somebody once talking about abortion facilities in America, that they, they're, they're places of great evil. Are they, does that leave a vacuum for demonic possession and oppression, those kind of cultures and those kinds of environments? One thing I said in my, in my book is that, that in being in this ministry, it is affirmed 
reaffirm the truths of the faith. You learn them. You know, people, you, you, you're taught these truths of the faith, but then we see them acted out uh, directly right in front of us. And one of them is the whole evil of abortion. We've had several people come to us who've had either had abortions, uh, been in abortion clinics, their families have uh, uh, conducted abortions, and there's always a huge amount of evil. Or houses have been deeply infested where abortions have taken place. So I've learned or reaffirmed directly the great evil that is abortion because there's a, a wrongful death and it's an opening to the demonic. Any sort of serious sin. There's a, there was a house that was uh, we were working on that was infested where there was a drug dealers. And they had a, they had a shootout there and several, several people were killed. Well, that's a huge evil. And, the, and then the next owner comes in and uh, find out now he's got a house that's infested with demons. And so the, the priest went in and blessed it and exercised it. That's frightening. That really is um, disturbing. What does invested mean? That you know, I know That's what the word means generally, but in terms of they, I think of the pests getting into my house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the right word. I mean, it's infested, like infested with ants, but infested with demons. I mean, demons are everywhere. Padre mm -hmm. Pio said, if you could see all the demons in the world, the sky would be black, but they have a special hold in places where great evil has taken place. And so when, when great evil is taken place in a house or whatever, or for example, I had a man call me, who was not Catholic and from a different state. And he said, uh, we moved into this house in uh, August. And literally all hell broke loose. I mean, everything you think about, even in a house, you know, shadows, temperature drops, all sorts of banging, things closed. I mean, doors, everything, TVs turned on and off, voices. I mean, it was just, it was, it was a, uh, a panoply of demonic symptoms. And it turned out the, the previous owner had died there in, I think, somewhere around May. And he was a child molester. And he had done a lot of occult stuff in the house. So by... By doing these evil things and by doing occult stuff in the house, he basically invited Satan into the place. Into, and, was, uh, and so basically the demons come in, they say, this house belongs to us. It was dedicated to us. It's ours. So this new guy comes in and uh, the whole family, they, they and they were not believers, by the way, but they figured out what there's a problem. They were terrified. They're all sleeping in the same bed at night. They were so terrified. So I called the local priest up and I said, you know, Father, could you go Could you go to their house? He said, I'm going on vacation. I said, this is an emergency. God bless him. He went there that night, threw some holy water around, said the prayers, and then I asked the guy, how, how is it now? He said, it's a lot better, but we still have some problems. So the guy comes back after his retreat, goes back a second time, throws around the holy water, says the church's prayers of exorcism, house is fine, and haven't had a problem. I've talked to him uh, recently, uh, been over a year, and the house is just fine. And by the way, this guy is in the front pew. He and his family are in the front pews of their church every Sunday. They learn the hard way that there are demons and thus there are angels and there's a God who in Jesus who can cast out the demons. These houses that are oppressed and where the demons are present are not pretty places. So there's a lot of activity in the house, furniture moving inexplicably, noises, and all kinds of frightening behaviors. Yeah, well, uh, typical things. I mean, things flying off the wall, uh, all the electronics turning off and on by themselves, windows slamming shut, doors slamming shut, hearing voices pounding, uh, uh, hearing this whistling, uh, feel like someone's touching your, your, your leg, and the dog went berserk, and the dog went completely berserk. And then parts of the houses, the temperature, the rest of the house was 70 degrees, 
And this spot, spot dropped in the 30s, this one little spot. And so all these kind of typical demonic symptoms of an infested house. Yeah, people say, oh, it's nonsense. You don't believe in it. Yeah, well, maybe you don't. But if it was your house... And, uh, and in fact, the, the, the guy told me, he said, uh, I talked to the first, the local priest, the first guy I did talk to, and the guy asked me if I had mice. And he was, he was so upset. He said, this priest had no idea how upsetting it is. I said, that's a pretty big mouse. I mean, you got to be kidding. Uh, so uh, uh, they get upset when, when, it's, when it's your house or your life, you say, this is real and I need help. And who do you talk to? All a Catholic priest. Adopt U.S. Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting. A teenager. Learning the lingo. Jelly. Jelly adjective. Jelly is a shorter, better way to say jealous. As in, Chloe, I am like so jelly of your unicorn phone case. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. My guest is Monsignor Stephen J. Rossetti, a Roman Catholic priest and an exorcist based in Washington, D.C. And he's out with a new book, Diary of an American Exorcist, Demons, Possessions, and the Modern Day Battle Against Ancient Evil. I'm your host, John Aidan Byrne. You mentioned holy water and prayers, so they're very powerful. Yeah, this is not magic. I mean, we, we don't do magic. Uh, basically, this is the intercession of, of the church. We're asking God, basically, we're asking God and Jesus to come help us. You know, this is not magic. This is not some witchcraft thing. We, we're, it's a prayer. Uh, the church has had, the Jesus gave the church authority to cast out demons. He said it very clearly. I give you authority to cast out demons. He did. Mm-hmm. And so we, we have that authority. Now, we use holy things. Demons can't stand holy things. So Like at the we, crucifix. We hold up as the cross crucifix I use, and mm-hmm. and uh, we you know we have the family saying the rosary beads, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and on the back of this crucifix there's some relics of saints back here. Okay. I got Saint Gemma Galgani and, and uh, Saint Paul of the Cross and Saint Maria Goretti and these uh, passionate saints. So we use holy things. Demons can't stand holy things, which is why we tell people, look, even if you don't have demonic issues, put some crucifixes in your home. They have a little holy water font. Put some nice holy statues up. Say the rosary as a family. That's your protection. Keeps the demons and the devil out. The movie, The Exorcist, seminal movie, and it's the one that comes to mind when you mention exorcism and Hollywood and so forth. How does that compare to your work and real life exorcisms? Is that the reality? I mean, there's a lot of jaw-dropping moments where people, some people walked out of the movie theaters when they watched that. Well, uh, I actually, you know, I have not watched the movie. I I, I, I don't watch those movies. I, I see enough of it in real life. I don't need it. But I, my understanding is that it, it's a bit of Hollywood in the, in that movie. Uh, so some of the, I mean, the spitting this big green soup and the head turning around, that sort of thing, we're all, it's all Hollywood stuff. The essence of the movie is correct. It's based on a real case. It was a young boy, not a young girl. And you can get, actually, the exorcist notes. They're, they're available now in a book, which I just bought recently and read. And you read through the notes, and it was a, the guy was using this Ouija board for months. This young boy is using Ouija board. And I think the, the house in question was in somewhere in Long Island, New York. Uh, I thought it was in Maryland. Perhaps. I, I may stand corrected, but there was another incident, I believe, somewhere in Long yeah. Island. 
Yeah, well, you're talking about the there's a famous couple that I think uh, he's gone now, but uh, they who did a, a lot of had a charism of exorcism, and they were in Long Island, mm-hmm. uh, and they did some too. Uh, but this was the, this the exorcist movie was based on a case that started in Maryland, and okay. they did the rest of the exorcist. They finished it in St. Louis, uh, but then read the notes. It was it's yep. very the notes are very factual. And we've had, I've had a couple of cases which actually were worse than that one. Um, and when you get a case like that, when it's that bad, we don't get too many of those, but it's uh, really ugly. And it, uh, it tries your, your just, it just, it's just incredibly ugly. I'm sure it's a draining ex- experience and exhausting, but could you tell us about one of those incidents and what happened? Well, we had a, a young woman uh, just finished just recently, and uh, just a wonderful young young woman who, sadly, uh, father was a Satanist, and mm. she was dedicated to Satan as a child. And father went to jail, and finally he's gone now. But so, and she, uh, and sadly, uh, you know, so she was dedicated to Satanism, and so as she got older, uh, thanks be to God, she she turned to the faith and she started practicing her faith, and the demons didn't like that. She said, "No, no, she belongs to us." And so they, we, uh, this is, I know it's going to sound strange. We were getting texts from demons and people say, oh, they don't, yeah, they do. We get texts saying she belongs You were to getting us. texts from demons? Well, actually it was her father, her father, her father was, and he was showing them to me. So we have gotten texts from demons. Yeah, for sure. She belongs to us. And, and then, so what happened? And then she, on her shoulder was burned this upside down cross. I don't know if you can see it. Let's see. I don't know if you can see this picture, but this uh, this was this cross. It's a. I'm sorry. It's I a, see the upside down cross. Yeah, in yeah. the in the Basically, photo. what Satan does is he says, "No, no, this person belongs to us. She was dedicated to us." He burns this cross on. She wakes up in the morning with this cross burned on her shoulder, which, by the way, disappeared in a couple of days. Peter naturally uh, disappeared in a couple of days, uh, and upside down, basically, uh, Satan saying she belongs to us. And of course, in the rite of baptism, we say. Uh, do you renounce Satan and all his works and you believe in Jesus and the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? And then we state, I claim you for Christ our Savior by the sign of his cross. So we claim you for Christ our Savior. So that was the fight, basically. And she would say, I belong to Jesus. And we would say, we claim you for Christ our Savior. And then Satan would burn a cross into her uh, many times uh, until finally uh, he was cast out. But it was uh, an ugly fight. And uh, I don't want to go through that again. God bless them. I mean, it shows you the power of Christ. One of the problems is that people have this dualistic notion of the universe. Like there's there's God and there's Satan and they're equal. Right. Not even close. God is God. The only one God. God is the all-powerful and, and the devil is just a small part of that. He's a dust bunny. That's why I said the same as a dust bunny. He can't but, but the devil is obviously trying to be as powerful as God. Isn't that the battle here? Yes. He wants to be God. He wants people to, to worship him. Uh, and he to actually people, worship oh, him. People do. Satanists do. Mm. They, they say, I, these people belong to me. I want you to worship me. Well, remember what, how Satan tempted Jesus. Mm. He said, all these kingdoms of the world I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. And I'm going to stop you there, Father, real quick, just as a, a sort of spiritual technical point, I guess. The, Satan wants people to adore him. Does, does Satan manifest himself uh, in human form? In human form. That's a tough question. Uh, Satan... It does have Satan minions. There are people who follow Satan and do his will and are and empowered by Satan to have some effect, unfortunately. Uh, does he show himself in a human body? No. He can possess people and okay. speak to people. For example, when we do an exorcism, uh, Satan will, or one of his minions usually, will speak through the person's voice. 
And you can, that's how we know the person's possessed. A, a new voice comes out, a new a presence comes out. It is incredibly evil. He looks at you and, and you look at the, in the eyes and, and you can tell if they could, they would kill you. And the violence and evil in their eyes. And, and we say, we call it the look. When we get the look, we know the person's possessed. That's not a, a human look. That's the look of Satan. And it is ugly. Do the possessed I've seen, and again, going to Hollywood, where bodies levitate and where the possessed are spitting out nails. Obviously, you dismiss the idea of the head turning, just beds rocking and boil coming from under the um, window panes, that kind of stuff. Is that Does that happen? This was spit out of someone at the end of an exorcism a few weeks ago. One looks like a bolt. Bolt in a washer. Now, this was not in the person's stomach. It, it vomited out, right? When part of the healing process, and people will often vomit this white foam, not food, is white foam, and they'll vomit this stuff. And sometimes they'll vomit things which are, would not be in their bodies, but materialize in their mouth. And there have been all sorts of crazy things. But this, this happened just very recently. We had someone who had previously been a drug addict, and, and it was clean. These things kept being, these needles kept falling off, of which materialized. Wow. Uh, so the, spa, yeah. the, the material spat out those needles? Uh, this was this actually would materialize uh, and fall fell off his body, which was- I see, the, I see. You, you watch them fall off his body. I got gotcha. you. Uh, but, but these things, these were actually spit out. And yes, they do spit out uh, crazy things. At times, things happen in an exorcism, which, which are humanly impossible. Uh, now, we have not had a levitation yet, although I know some teams that have- and I'm sure it's just a question of time, you know, before we do. When do you do your exorcisms? Is it at night typically and indoors? We do it. You're supposed to do it in a holy space if you can. And so we'll typically use a chapel. Oh, not the way chapel. We don't, we, we're, we eschew any sort of public notoriety, which is important. And only people who are part of the team can be in the room. Uh, and it's usually done quietly in a, in a, in a chapel. So you mentioned the team. You have a team because you run a, a center there in D.C. You can tell us a little bit about that, too. Well, it's very important. We uh, The old days of the extras working by himself are gone. Uh, we have some wonderful people where I just feel so blessed. We have some lay people and other priests and deacons, and they're just a, a marvelous group. Some are very gifted people uh, spiritually. We have spiritual directors. Uh, some women are spiritual directors and really accompany some of the women who are possessed and uh that teamwork uh, is uh, a great consolation and joy for me to be. Uh, they're just really just marvelous people. Can you give us the name of it? The name uh, of we, your center? The car is called St. Michael's Center for Spiritual Renewal. And as a matter of fact, that's why I wrote the book. I mean, it's because we have an app. We have this app called CatholicExorcism.org. I've heard about that. It's free. And there's all sorts of deliverance prayers in here. Uh, so people want to have some deliverance prayers. All the ones you need are here called Catholic exorcism. Okay. And uh, you get all the prayers you can stand and all the deliverance prayers you can need. So I, so what happened was we, we had this app. I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll do this blog and to kind of advertise the app. And so I started this blog and that's well, the, the core of the book is the blogs. And, and uh, lo and behold, the thing went viral. I, mean, I, I, I had no idea that uh, this would be so popular. I just, when I had 50 hits, I felt pretty good. You know, now we have thousands, tens of thousands of people and it just go, wow, what happened? Uh, so it's, there's a lot of interest and uh, some of it's just curiosity, but but a lot of people have problems and, and need some help. Well, it's a very difficult 
moment and disturbing time in our history. America has gone through a lot of upheaval and maybe some of that's to do with the devil and, and the demons and so on. Two Catholic commentators described your book as one of the best books on the topic they have ever read, Diary of an American Exorcist. It's engaging, it's informative, it's level-headed, it's accessible. You know, you can actually follow the logic in it. And while people may be frightened by some of the material you describe, you're not going to come away feeling sick to your stomach. In that sense, it's level-headed. Well, a a couple of things I'd say. First of all, I'm exaggerating nothing. This is basically my my personal diary of things that happen. I don't need to exaggerate because the truth is too bizarre. So I would just say, no, there's nothing exaggerating there, was, including people don't believe it. something like you can't get texts from demons. Yeah, you can. I've got a whole bunch of them. In one case, a person walked into the possessed person's room. The phone was on the table and they, they saw the keys moving, and but no one was there. The demons were moving the keys. But the other thing I would say about this ministry is most important is what a, a grace it is to see God's grace working in people's lives. It's really a joy. I mean, it can be a little bit disturbing. Yes. But you should walk away with a sense of joy and confidence that Jesus is Lord. He casts these demons out. They're dust bunnies. And to see that one of the great, I love the ministry because you see the transformation in people's lives. At, when they start being freed, you, sometimes one of the great signs is you see this joy on their face. And mm-hmm. it's so uh, it's encouraging to see the joy in their face, their eyes twinkle, and you say, okay, this is nice. But I'm sure there are cases where people are confusing um, oppression, demonic uh, possession with something deep and psychological, a different, another, some trauma. So do you have to sort of sort that out first? Yes. And that's why it's good that I'm a licensed psychologist. I've been, I worked for 30 years as a psychologist doing clinical work. So maybe 25, 20, 30, yeah, 30 years. Um, so it's, uh, it's helpful to me. So I, 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 I can recognize when someone is schizophrenic or has a, a major thought disorder or has a, a manic, uh, whatever, uh, uh, you know, symptoms or, so I'd be able to discern the difference, uh, is important and being a psychologist really helps. But I would say this many times we really help the person not only heal spiritually, but also psychologically, typically someone possessed also needs some psychological healing. They may have some wounds from childhood or some abusive backgrounds or whatever. And so we pray for not only spiritual liberation, but for uh, psychological healing. And we'll often send them to therapists, you know, that, mm. that work with our So we often have people in psychotherapy to, to heal some of these uh, sort of very psychological wounds, which, which, which are uh, uh, helpful for the liberation. Yeah, and from what we read and we know, there's a lot of psychological trauma and dysfunction in our society. We could describe all the reasons, but that is a reality. And then we have what you're describing there. Have you ever lost a battle with the devil or a battle that was difficult to win? Does Do you always win? Does the, the holy people always win here? Well, we've been fortunate. Some people have quit. They basically, they didn't want to go through it because it's not easy. I mean, this is a not easy process. And this is, not, again, I say not magic. The church has a power over demons, but the person has to cooperate. They have to change their lives. And we say, look, if you want to be liberated from the, the demonic, you need to stop sinning, start practicing the faith, and, and cooperate with, with these prayers and everything. And sometimes they're just not, well, we had one guy who was practicing witchcraft. For, he was ahead of a 
a, a coven of witches, although he said he was a witch. I said, you're not a witch, you're a warlock. Said, no, you're, you're a warlock, but, but he had been started as coven of witches and had done it for seven years. And I said, you, and you could tell he was sullen and dark and heavy and unhappy. And this whole thing, I said, do you, do you realize what you're giving off? He says, yeah, I, I don't want to be possessed. I said, well, you have to give up the witchcraft thing. He wouldn't do it because it gave him a sense of power and everything of being uh, witchcraft. And so he wouldn't do it. So when people won't change their life uh, and live, the, live a good life, it doesn't do any good. I can throw all the holy water I want. I won't do any good. Well, you said something earlier, and for Catholic listeners, and we have a lot of listeners across different belief systems and no beliefs and secular and religious. You mentioned confession. That's sort of a kind of an an exorcism of a different, a minor exorcism, I suppose, because they, they, they're supposed to leave the confessional feeling w- much better than they were before they went in. That's the first thing we tell uh, Catholics anyway. Before you come in for your first session, we want you to go to confession, make a good confession, start practicing the faith, and come on in. We'll, we'll, we'll do our best to help. But that's the first thing we do. We go to confession. Give us a flavor of the book. You describe a lot of different incidents throughout, and I don't want you to recall them all, but can you maybe give one of the ones that stands out? Well, of course, the things that strike you are these stunning things which are not humanly possible. I mean, we had one person who was in church, and she would flip over a pew. I mean, it was impossible. The, the, The priest watched it happen several times, and the person would just go, do this cartwheel over a pew, and he goes, Whoa, person was possessed. She's not possessed anymore, thank God. Uh, but there's these kind of events that you go, whoa. That uh, that happened. Oh, yeah. He saw it. He saw it. Matter of fact, several people saw it. But they, they can we, can, what, what part of the country, can, without giving away her identity, I, I, I presume it's she's not identified in the book. No, you don't need to know. Mm. Yeah, mm. no, it's, I, I keep it confidential. But, but there are all these strange symptoms. People... Uh, waking up in the morning with these huge scratches. I don't know if you can see this, but this one person woke up with, I don't know if you can see this, but these claw marks on, on her back. Mm. It, and, I, and I asked her, I said, could you feel that? She said, no, I woke up. I was just tingling a little bit. And then, of course, she looks in the mirror and she's got this. I said, you know what it looked like? It looks like a, a, a beast took its claw and raked it down her back. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, mm. Basically, a, a, a demonic clawed her back. And disappeared in a couple of days. You say, it's impossible. Yeah, it's impossible, humanly. So you see these kind of symptoms and you go, whoa. I would say uh, another thing is, uh, one thing about uh, exorcisms, and that's why they should be reserved as someone who's trained and also has a a priest, I have a certain number of protections. Because basically, you're looking at a demon face to face, and you're saying, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to leave. And uh, it's a fight. It's a, let's call it, I call it spiritual warfare. It's a fight. And they're mad. Our, one of our jokes is an angry demon is, is a, all demons are angry. <laughs> you know? I mean, there's no such thing as a non angry demon. So you right. see this rage and it's coming at you. And so you got to, you have to trust in the trust in the Lord and, uh, and say, you know, Jesus is Lord and Lord, I trust in you. And it's a draining, but uh, it's, have you ever been frightened, really frightened, where you were trembling and couldn't sleep at night and uh, you were traumatized by what you were going through? I mean, I'm sure people wonder, how can you sleep at night even with all these exorcisms that you're involved with? I sleep very well. Thank you. Well, first of all, I always had a sense of the Blessed Mother's presence in my life. She's a beautiful woman. And uh, she, I've always had a sense that, and she is really a powerful presence in exorcisms, you know. We, we ascribe that scriptural passage to her 
that uh, she crushes Satan's head with her heel. And sometimes I'll say that uh, in the in the exorcism. Say from the first moment of Magdalene conception, she crushed your proud head. That phrase is in the the right of old right of exorcism. From the first moment of her, of her Magdalene conception, she crushed your proud head, and they don't like to hear that. And so uh, I often, of course, remember. I held on to these rosary beads and and uh, in the beginning, and she cast out uh, Satan when they attacked me as a seminarian. I sleep with these rosary beads mm. around my hand. They, I'm, these rosary beads are always on me, always. You know, except yeah. when I take a shower, and that's it. I put them on my hand, and I say, "Okay, mother, take care of me." And she does. We talked about the center. How many exorcisms a week do you perform out of there? We have several priests uh, help. And we we actually we do over twenty sessions a week, or twenty sessions a week. Uh, and and that's in the wa- in the Washington area. Uh, that's where we that's where we work in the Washington area. So over twenty sessions a week, and uh, uh, so it keeps us busy. I had a young exorcist come to me once and said, "You know, I'm doing these exorcisms, and I find myself really tired afterwards." And I say, "Yes, it's not a normal tiredness. There is a, a spiritual battle that takes place, and so." It, there is this draining thing that happens. And if I have three sessions in a day, I mean, basically, I'm, I'm going to lie down for a while. And some of the real rough ones, we had one that's particularly rough. And we, we had a, uh, a woman helping us who was a very spiritually gifted woman. And at the end of the session, she was she was wiped out for three days. I was lying down for the rest of the day and it, we were drained. You know, it, uh, so there's a real it's a real battle, you know, and uh, it's a real. Uh, uh, it takes something out of you. You know, I, I think that uh, I'm sure there's a shelf life for exorcists. I'm probably getting close to it in 14 years. Um, so it's emotionally draining. How long does a session last? Uh, if someone's just oppressed, on the day of a lesser form, uh, if someone's really possessed in a tough case, between an hour and, and two, I don't go any more than that. There, there are sometimes we'll do uh, what we call marathons. You know, when we're really kind of hammering away and we'll just spend hours doing that. But then the person has to be ready for it because it's not only draining for us, it's very draining for the person who's got the demons. And so we have to be very careful that he or she uh, is taken care of. A, a possessed person may not be fully healed for up to a year or more, correct? This last case was a huge case. We prayed twice a week for five months and she was liberated. And I, I felt fortunate. That it was so frankly so quick. It was someone who had such a deep infestation of demons. Uh, but it can take, yeah, we had one case went five years, and I'm sorry to say, but but she's okay now. But but so it can it can it can last a long time. I'm just gonna quickly ask another spiritual, theological, technical question on the devil and demons. There's Lucifer, and then there are all these minor demons. Can you explain that whole concept for many people? Angels are in a very hierarchical thing, which doesn't make sense to us. We, we don't like hierarchies. But the fact is, is angels live in a hierarchy. The nine choirs of angels, you know, the, the cherubim, the seraphim, the thrones, the domination, it goes the nine choirs of angels. And so they're very hierarchically. Uh, and and, and, uh, and the higher, de- higher angels uh, have more knowledge and more uh, spiritual punch, if you will, if you want to use that phrase. Uh, and that hierarchy is not, uh, uh, cast aside when they, be, they fell and became demons. So in hell, there's a real hierarchy and Satan's at the top, Satan slash Lucifer. Some people think they're different or some people think they're the same, but basically Satan slash Lucifer is at the top. And then there's a whole bunch of so, uh, lieutenants, if you will, 
uh, Baal, Baphomet, Asmodeus. There's, there's a, a well-known uh, group of lieutenants under uh, Satan, and then then there's then there's lesser demons underneath. So when when we do an exorcism, the minor demons go first, and then at the end you get the leader. In this case, uh, the last one we did with the leader was Baphomet, who was a very high-ranking demon, and it was tough to get rid of. Wow, there's all this detail is in your in your brilliant book, and I do recommend people read it. Another fascinating part of this is the languages that are spoken by the demons. I mean. Part of it is comical to me, but part of it is quite serious. You know, there are so many languages out there um, mm. and ones that do, which have disappeared, right? So explain that. Well, uh, the, the more recent case, I don't want to be too detailed, but the recent case we had, the, the person started writing in an Eastern European language. Mm. And, 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 and he didn't know how to write that language. So well, we took the text. And we gave it to someone who knew that language and said, well, what does it mean? And so he, he, he interpreted it and said, this, and got what, it, what it was was a typical demonic harangue, you know, it's all the evil stuff the demons say. So in the midst of a trance, this person was started writing in a foreign language, which someone else had to interpret. I'm sure uh, there are people out there who will still be skeptical uh, at the end of this interview and some, as I said, sophisticated people and scientists, do you invite them to study the phenomena and maybe that way they will open their eyes? I don't really, it doesn't bother me that they don't believe in these things, but I want them to believe in God, of course. That's the important thing that we believe mm-hmm. in God and believe in Jesus is the son who came and saved us. So that's, that's, that's what we've got to focus on. And we've got to be careful that we don't become too obsessed with demons, mm-hmm. that we focus our attention on the Lord and, and not his salvation, which he offers to us. But at times, and maybe these people don't need to know. I mean, maybe, maybe, they, don't, maybe they don't need to know these things. I need to know it, but they need to know about God and Jesus. And so, 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 okay, focus on that. Uh, Monsignor, a lot of good is coming out of this and, and the work you do with the number of exorcists out there having grown exponentially. In many ways, that's a good thing because so many people will be relieved of possession. Um, how do you see it going forward? We'll always have evil, right? But the world will never get rid of evil. I mean, this is a fallen place. Yeah, well, absolutely. And I think it's going to get much worse before it gets better. I mean, people are not doing the right things. They're not going to church. They're committing serious sins. They're doing occult practices. All these people practicing witchcraft, they think I'm a, they're a good witch. No, you're just a witch. We had someone recently they were having the family was having these uh, symptoms of uh, problems, these demonic problems, and so they called in a, a friend of theirs who was a bruja, which is a witch, and she 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 did, did her good witchcraft, you know, over the family trying to help them. And after that, it got five times worse. There was all sorts of manifestations, but it got worse. So people are practicing witchcraft and thinking that they're doing a good thing, but you know. When you do magic, it doesn't come from the Lord. Ultimately, it comes comes from Satan. So there's going to be a lot more of these problems present. But the good news is, I guess, is that when people are liberated by the power of Christ, uh, they they learn the truth. In some ways, that's why possessions can actually, strangely enough, could actually be a grace. Because when you're possessed and God willing, you're you're liberated. You know, you know the truth. You experienced it. So no, they can't tell you otherwise. And many of our people, again, are in the front pews of the church because they learned the truth the hard way. 
Well, that's a good and interesting note to finish up on. And if you want to just hold the book up again, the cover, it's the diary of an American exorcist. And I am speaking to Monsignor Stephen J. Rossetti. It's a great read. And as I said, two Catholic commentators had high praise for it. Thank you for joining me on the show. And may God bless you, John, and all those who are listening. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to Life on Planet Earth with John Aiden Byrne. To reach the host or learn about advertising or sponsorship opportunities, call 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com. That's 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com. 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com.